All right, let's regather. We're going to be in Acts 19 this morning. We're going to be in Acts. Yeah, I forgot to ding the bell. You got to pull it hard. It's two or three times. <clears throat> I forgot about I forgot about the bell. There we go. There's a knack. To, no, it's fine. It, it takes it's, it takes a while. There's a special knack to ringing. My daughter did it last week, and she did it like very well. Uh, we're going to talk this morning about Acts 19, and I, uh, I had the feeling this morning that I was probably going to divide this message into a few weeks, so that's what we're going to do. Um, and uh, so uh, we're going to talk about things that accompany revival. Um, some of you know, uh, probably most of us by now realize that there is a really cool move of God happening uh, that began in Kentucky, my birthplace. May that be prophetic, O oh Lord. And uh, then began spreading, and uh, at this point is out of America in, uh, in other countries. It's also coming under criticism. And none of that matters to me because the Word of God is our rock and our foundation. And, well, Jesus is our rock and foundation, but the Word of God gives us, uh, defines these things for us. So I want to talk this morning um, a little bit about uh, what we see that accompanies revival uh, in the Scripture. And uh, that will help us as we experience uh, whatever the Lord would do among us, not only in this church, but outside of here. Uh, so we're going to talk about this for a few minutes, and then I believe there's a number of us, although it's a light uh, and uh, a little bit of a subtle crowd, but there's a very sweet and um, evident presence of God here, and I believe he wants to do some special things with us. So we'll see what that is in a few minutes. Um, but we're going to talk about what is revival, what precedes revival, precedes, precedes, I don't know if my verbs are correct, adjective, adverb, what comes before it, and then precedes, and then what accompanies it as we look at Scripture. And we're going to look both at biblical and historic accounts. And uh, my journey with this subject, and I'm going to define it for you in a moment, um, actually let me, uh, yeah, let me define it now. And this is a great definition um, that I'm going to define in a moment for you. And uh, but my experience is I began reading the Bible as a new Christian and realizing that there seems to be times when the movement of God on his people is, um, is accelerated. And uh, so then as I re began reading church history, uh, when I was studying these things uh, as a student, I learned that uh, very much throughout history, since the beginning of the Christian uh, movement in 2,000 years ago, there was significant revival, refreshing uh, awakenings, whatever you would call it, that happened all throughout the world. And I'm going to now just read to you a few snippets from some of the ones that maybe you've heard of and some names that maybe you've heard of that would help you feel a sense of credibility. These aren't all the super weird people that you hear about, like Smith Wigglesworth, who's a plumber and he'd punch people in the gut and demons would fly out of their mouth. Maybe you've heard about him. He's, yeah, like amazing. If you go read his stuff. But I'm not going to get into any of the weird ones. We're going to talk about Whitefield and Wesley and Jonathan Edwards, all the people that all of us would shake our heads if you know who I'm talking about, say, yes, those are fathers of the faith. I don't have to be scared. Um, so I'm going to share a little bit about that, and then we're going to look at Acts uh, 19. Um, let's pray, though, first. I'm kind of moving my order around. Um, and we'll just uh, see what the scripture says today. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and just continue what you're doing in each of us, and we just give you way, and we want to see you, and we just are so thankful that you are present in our midst, um, that we're not on our own, and that you, you have plans in a heart for each of us and for this church and for, for Christians 
in this world, that you haven't left us alone, and that your heart is to fill us with joy and life and peace and renewal and forgiveness. So we welcome you to come. I pray that you'd breathe fresh life for us and open our ears to hear what your scripture is saying to us and what your spirit is saying through your scripture. Come, we welcome you. Just move among us. Amen. Amen. And amen. Um, so a definition of revival, um, I've uh, looked for a good one, uh, I have mine, but this is uh, by John Piper, who I highly respect, and this is his definition, and I like this definition because it really talks about, it makes it normal while it also makes it transrational, and this is how he says it, in the history of the church, the term revival, in its most biblical sense, has meant a sovereign work of God in which the whole region of many churches, many Christians, has been lifted out of spiritual indifference and worldliness and into conviction of sin, earnest desires for more of Christ in his word. Isn't this exciting? Like, wouldn't that be great if that happened to all of us? I'm going to read that again. Many Christians have been lifted out of spiritual indifference and worldliness into conviction of sin, earnest desire for more of Christ, more of his word, boldness and witness, purity of life, lots of conversions, joyful worship, and renewed commitment to missions. Isn't that great? You feel God has moved here. And basically revival then is God doing among many Christians at the same time or in the same region what he's doing all the time in individual people renewed around the world. I love that move. Of, I love that definition, saying that in a large group of people, God just moves and lifts us out. And now going to the, scripture, or to the history, and then we're going to look at Acts 19. I'm going to read to you guys. These are quotes that I dug up from some of my revival history. I, when I was in uh, Bible college, I remember one day I was wandering through the library, and I, I think this was like the sovereignty of God that this happened because I was probably supposed to be studying for something. Um, and I was just pondering the shelves, and I found this little tiny book. You know how sometimes you find like little tiny books you can fit in your back pocket? It was this little tiny book. It was like that thin. And it was titled, I, I remember reading it vertically, When the Fire Fell. And I thought, well, that looks interesting. What is this? Like I get this book, and I checked it out, and I like read it, and I was just enraptured. And it was just this history of revivals uh, around the world, just little snippets on each. So this comes, some of this comes from that. These are actual quotes from the diaries of people like John uh, Wesley, Whitefield, Jonathan Edwards, Finney, uh, newspaper articles. And I'm just going to run through some of the more known. Uh, this first one I'll talk about. This isn't even counting the first 1,700 years of the church, because if you look especially at the Catholic faith, you can find incredible things happening, which I would certainly consider revival happening through people like Augustine and Ignatius and St. Teresa of Avila and just all around the world, just amazing things. But we're just going to look in the last few hundred years. Uh, the first awakening, the first great awakening, have you heard of it? The 1730s, up for about 50 years this lasted. Uh, and uh, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, reported, he wrote this in his journal, quote, in our meetings, people dropped on every side as thunderstruck as they fell to the ground, others with convulsions exceeding all description, and many reported seeing visions. Some shook like a cloth in the wind, others roared and screamed and fell down involuntarily. Jonathan Wesley. Uh, John Wesley. In the same time, uh, George Whitefield, who was a, uh, one of the biggest preachers of the First Great Awakening, this is uh, 1700s, early 1700s, preached about 20,000 times to about 10 million hearers. 
His journal inserts are the same as described by Wesley. He wrote this, many, quote, falling to the ground, trembling exceedingly with convulsions. People fell down, cried, trembled, twitched. Sinners dropped down, shrieking, groaning, crying for mercy, agonizing, fainting, falling down in distress or in raptures of joy. First Great Awakening. Jonathan Edwards uh, said this, same time frame, uh, in New England, ministering there. And... uh, <clears throat> he said this, it's, it was common to see outcries, faintings, convulsions of distress and joy. Some were so affected that their bodies were overcome. They stayed all night in the church. Uh, there were instances of some people lying in a trance, laying there motionless sometimes for up to 24 hours. So if you read revivals, and if you, if, and you guys have like dabbled into what's going on right now in some places around the world, you've probably read those kinds of things are exactly what's happening. Uh, the Cane Ridge Revival in Kentucky, uh, 1801, and this is getting into what's called the Second Great Awakening, which happened uh, two or three decades after the First Great Awakening happened in America, uh, began the Second Great, uh, Great Awakening, the Cane Ridge Revival in 1801, which is really uh, important, and I'll talk about that why. But the, an atheist named James B. Finley came to one of the meetings. He was like a newspaper writer, and he said, well, let me go see one of these meetings because all these people are doing all these crazy things, and the churches are filling like, right now in Asbury, um, in the, 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 the city where that's at, and I have intentionally not read a lot about what's happening because I don't want to, um, but, like, you can't even get into the city. I have a few friends I've talked to who've been, you know, getting these things, and, like, the, I mean, like, they're waiting in lines, like, two hours long to just get in the city and stuff. So, same thing was happening back then. This is not new. James uh, Finley was an atheist who was sent to report on it. He walks into one of the meetings, and his article in the newspaper said this, the noise was like the roar of Niagara. A vast sea of human beings seemed to be agitated as if by a storm. Some of them were singing, others praying, some crying for mercy in the most piteous accents, while others were shouting vociferously. A strange supernatural power seemed to pervade the entire mass of mind there collected. At one time I saw at least 500 swept down in a moment as if a battery of a thousand guns had been opened upon them, and then immediately followed shrieks and shouts that rent the very heavens. I fled for the woods and wished I had stayed home. He's an atheist. At the same time, uh, Cane Ridge, that's Kentucky, early 1800s. Charles Finney, who is known as one of the best or most powerful revivalists in America. Um, Charles Finney. And all these, many of these people have written books and stuff. You can go and research. He described people following uh, and experiencing God's power in meetings. His quote from his journal, An awful solemnity seemed to settle on the people. The congregation began to fall from their seats in every direction and cry for mercy. If I had a sword in each hand, I could not have cut them down as fast as they fell. I had to stop preaching. Um, he stops preaching. And, uh, <clears throat> and then the, the Welsh Revival, which comes uh, a little later, and this began on the other side of the world, um, across the ocean anyway. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's really cool, and I could just go on and on and on with these stories, but um, that, that, the, the stress of that one was that they, they, they said that we, we, we experienced God in church, but then at school, the people experienced the God when they were sitting in their classrooms. And even in, like, if you were getting your hair cut or if you went to a bar, like, all throughout the towns, anywhere they went, they felt the tangible presence of God, Welsh Revival, um, awesome study. So all that is to say that throughout church history, um, there have been consistent moves of God upon his people. And the result of that is thousands and thousands of people coming to faith in Christ. Isn't that exciting? Renewal, repentance from sin, signs and wonders, all these things. 
And uh, I have talked a little bit lately about an ex experiences I had. Some of you guys in the mid-90s, there was something kind of known as the Toronto Renewal, and then it ended up in Florida and kind of ended up all over the world. And millions and millions of people experienced it. And all the things that I just read about, I got to see firsthand pretty sustained for about 18 months, um, first in Toronto when I went up there, and then we came down here, and uh, God just obliterated our church. How many of you guys were part of a church where those sort of things were happening in the mid-90s? All right, so I'm not the only crazy person because there's like eight people who've raised their hand. Um, so, uh, and it was, it was crazy. I remember just walking in and the same thing. I mean, somebody would be preaching a sermon and just a hundred people would just fall down and start crying just like spontaneously. And uh, that was a wonderful time for me where God um, taught me things and I drew near to him and dot, dot, dot. Um, but that's what we're talking about. So let's look at Acts 19. And um, the things that precede revival, typically, when these things happen, and, and this is a sovereign move of God, as I read in John Piper's quote, so you can't make it happen. You can want it, but you can't make it happen. But you can want it and wait for it. And typically, the things that precede revival are simply repentance and desperation. And let me really just shake on this one, because I'm just so happy when I read about what's happening in people's lives, especially the fact that this seems to be happening in the younger generation. Um, spiritual apathy and indifference is being lifted. And people are becoming passionate about God. They're becoming passionate about Jesus and compassion and justice. They are leaving the apathy of no faith or pretend faith but living, you know, almost fully in the world, totally engaged and drowned in media and social media and electronics and, you know, revelry and all the things that hurt us. And people are walking away from that indifference and that apathy and they're jumping into Jesus with everything they have. That is revival and that is awesome. And then from there, they are going out and sharing it with others. And that's really what, what, what this is all about. So we're going to read Acts 19. Uh, we're just going to go verses 1 through 10 for today, and uh, we'll finish up the next, if we're all still here, in the next week or two. But let's look at Acts 19, 1 through 10. This is one of the many, what I would call revivals um, in the Bible. Incredible things happen. And Paul is in Ephesus in Acts 19, verse 1. It came about while Paulus was at Corinth. Paul, having passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus, and he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said to him, no, we haven't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. He said, well, then how were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John's bapti John baptized with repentance, telling the people to believe in him who is coming, that is Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were in uh, there about 12 men. And he uh, entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But there were some becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the multitude. And so he withdrew from them and took the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Did you, did you hear that last sentence? It might seem, it's like it starts with 12 people, guys. And a few verses later, and a few years later, it's built into this thing 
that everyone around heard about. So, I'm going to just talk and see how far I get through, uh, through this passage. Um, we will keep reading and probably next, next week because the passage is quite long. Because after that, Paul begins doing, uh, Jesus begins doing miracles through Paul. Many people repent and uh, there's persecution and there's mass salvation that happens. But let's just look at the first section that we looked at as we talk about what accompanies revival. And the first thing clearly is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in verse 2 through 7, he is talking about, it's, Luke, the writer, is talking about what happens. And this all begins with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, when he laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And I did a whole series on the Holy Spirit about a few months ago, so I'm not going to go back into this. But they were believers. Ephesians 1.13, it says that when we confess Christ as our Savior, we are instantly filled with the Holy Spirit as an earnest. And so when you come to Christ, you get the Holy Spirit. But it's very clear here in dozens of other places in the New Testament, and actually back in the Old Testament too, if you look at what it says about the coming of the Spirit, that a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit can then continue being filled. Or in other words, it's not that you get more of the Spirit because you have the Spirit, but it's that the Spirit becomes more expressed in you. That you get, like if you had this much courage today, tomorrow you'll have even more courage. If you had this much repentance today, tomorrow you'll have more. If you had this much kindness for the lost today, you'll have this much more tomorrow. As the Spirit continues to fill us in that sense of just more and more and more of Him expressing Himself through us. So that's what's happening here. They had the Holy Spirit, but it was time for them to experience more of the Holy Spirit. And so He prays. They begin to speak in tongues and prophesy and other things that sometimes accompany the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to say, this is where it has to begin. It can't begin with a guy with a loud voice and a big PA system and a cool band putting a sign up that says, Revival Wednesday through Saturday. Maybe revival will happen then. I hope it does. But we don't make the Holy Spirit come. But we long for the Holy Spirit, and when the wind blows, the wind blows, and get out of the way, because it's coming and it won't be stopped. And so we can long for that. We can long, and, and that's what we do. I mean, if, if you've been here any length of time, I mean, in the service, over and over, you'll hear people saying, come Holy Spirit, more Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, have your way. Lord, bring your kingdom upon us. And so this is where we just have to begin um, and have you ever been part of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? I mean, we experienced one. We are experiencing one in this room right now. There's a very sweet presence. I noticed it around the, as we were singing the third song. It just kind of started getting kind of thick. It's like something's happening. This can happen at Kroger, by the way, when you're in the bread aisle. It can happen in, when you're laying in your bed and you can't it, it can and it will happen all those places. Um, but sometimes it happens at church when an outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And uh, I have to tell the story. I've, I've mentioned this again a few times lately, but I remember in 1995, I think it was, when three of us decided to go up to Canada and see what was happening when they were talking about all the stuff I'm talking to you about happening at a uh, church in Toronto. And we went there, and we were there for a week, and it was a 20-hour drive one way, and it was wonderful and exhausting and we got prayer and prophecy, and many wonderful things happened. And we came back. We did nothing at all. 
um, nothing. When I say we did nothing, we didn't send out a bullet and say, hey, this is what happened, this is what to pray for. We did nothing. We just showed up that Sunday after, I don't remember what day it was, and uh, I just remember when the worship band began to play, the guitar strummed, and then just people just, all the things I just told you, read to you, these other, other revivals, just all this stuff started happening. And it, it was just incredible. It was totally unmade, unmanufactured. It was just desired. And when we desire the Holy Spirit, he will come upon us. And then in that, there's a tangible presence you can't explain and you can't deny. And this is where we kind of have to get out of our, like, American worldview, like, you know, like, 10, Jeff is cool, uh, 20, uh, print, and then 30, go to 10. You remember programming basic? I botched it, you know? But, like, if you say it, it's going to do this, it's going to do this. Like, if I come to church and I have my program, I have my regimen, or I'm going to go sit before God, I'm going to read my chapter and then pray these prayers, and then I'm going to go watch football. Like, we got to get shaken out of that and be prepared for whatever it is the Holy Spirit wants to do among us. And, uh, I mean, Acts 2.43, which is the first coming of the Holy Spirit on the disciples at Pentecost, I love this verse. In Acts 43, after the Spirit comes, after they see the tongues of fire, it says this, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And don't you want that? Don't you want that in your life? Don't you want that in your house? Don't you want that at your job site? Don't you want that in your church? Where we don't just file in and file out and go get fried chicken. But when we meet, we feel a sense of awe. We know something is among us, and that is the Holy Spirit. So, the next thing that happens is the empowering of believers. Verse 8, it says, They entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, is what Paul did. This is super important. This is super, super, super important. It's never about just getting filled with the Holy Spirit so I can feel good, okay? Very, very important, because then we just become focused on ourselves. It's about us becoming empowered to go out and every real revival that's happened has resulted in boldness, boldness and fearlessness in the people. So just want to make sure we, like, we understand that. Whatever's happening, whatever happens to you, whatever happens here, whatever happens in these meetings that seem to be happening, um, the, 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 the product of it is that we would be emboldened to go out and share and then the last thing I think I'll share today, and then we're going to spend some time in prayer, is that the, that accompanies revival is the spreading like fire, awakening and evangelism. If you look at verse 10 again, this took place for two years so that all that lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And then if you look over at verse 20, it says the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. So we're talking tens of thousands of people heard about what God was doing in Ephesus. So in Ephesus, in a local church, tens of thousands of people heard. How did they hear? Because Paul told tens of thousands of people, no. Everyone was just going out saying, oh my gosh, can you believe what's happening? Can you believe what God is doing among us? It was growing mightily, it says. And you know what, guys? They didn't have Twitter. That's why, you know, with what's happening right now in Esbury, I've chosen for the, very most, for the most part to just not read, and I encourage you, like, read some, but don't, like, become a junkie, okay? Ask for God in your bedroom. 
Really, really important. Um, really, really important. Don't become a junkie. Just like ask for the Lord to appear to you where you are. It's not about going to a place and getting a meeting. It's like we can meet with Jesus right here among us. And as we experience Jesus, somehow everyone in Asia experienced this thing, or heard about it, it grew mightily, and it all happened without cell phones and the internet. And that is a genuine, that's one of the things that accompany a genuine move of God, that it, it spreads unstoppably. And that's cool. Um, Pentecost, 3,000 were saved, then 2,000 were saved. And the first great awakening that I read to you about with Whitefield and Edwards, they estimated 100,000 people came to faith in Christ. 100,000 people in those 35, 40 years. In the second great awakening, about 3,000 people were saved in the Cane Ridge revival that they counted, and that is what began the foreign missions movement. Before that, there were not a lot of countries launching Christians into other countries. Like, we didn't always just go send missionaries all over the world. Um, in the Welsh Revival, about 100,000 people were added to the church in, 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 uh, in Wales, and then 5 million worldwide, and that spilled over and began the Azusa Street Revival, which began the modern Pentecostal movement. And probably one of the great unknown revivals is the revival that still is happening in China right now. When you think of China, you think, I look in the back of my anything, and it says, this was made in China. And we think about balloons, and we think about war. But the reality is there is a movement of God happening in China that is just incredibly powerful and has been for about 40 years. In 1980, 2 million Christians, uh, people call themselves Christians in China. 20 years later, in the year 2000, there were 75 million in China that identified as Christians. And if you count the underground church now in 2023, there are likely, the estimates are by the World Missions Organizations, there are hundreds of millions of Chinese Christian believers, counting all those underground. That's awesome. That is what this is all about. It's about sharing Christ with others. So I think we'll stop there. Um, things that accompany revival. Um, we talked about an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of believers, and then evangelism and the spreading of it. There's some other ones coming up as we read the rest of the chapter. We'll probably get into that next week. But um, let's all stand.